0: Good morning, or whatever time it is, and welcome to our uh, final day long for this Heart and Mind in Harmony retreat. It's been a wonderful week of practice together, and of course, it's not over. We have this full day of practice together. Um, It's been, I think... um, wonderfully beneficial that we've had multiple voices talking about these different heart qualities that we've been exploring this week. So um, I'm glad that many of you were able to come in the mornings and to the movement sessions. Um, So Karen is already here and Marcy and G will uh, also be joining us later. So we'll all end together. Today we're going to finish up the sutta, the simile of the cloth. We haven't gone all the way through it and we'll uh, find the, the final teachings that were offered in that sutta and bring together all the themes that have been guiding us this week. Just on a practical note, we'll have a lunch break around, I think around 12.30 we'll see how it works out and we'll finish by 3.30 and there will be time at the end for plenty of time for Q&A and also there will be some uh, connection time again with the other retreatants at the end. So with that let's go ahead and get started. Um, we have this image of the cloth, the simile of the cloth and it's the sutta starts out by saying that um, our mind does not is like this cloth when it doesn't take the dye evenly. And a cloth that's um, dirty and greasy and stained, if you try to dye it, um, it just doesn't come out looking that good. And so you need to start with something that's um, cleaner, clearer in order for it to take the dye evenly. And then this is analogized to the way the mind interacts with the Dharma. And we can see this intuitively, is that when our mind is busy or caught up or something full of all kinds of things that are distracting it, it's actually not that easy to hear the Dharma. It's not that easy to take it in and really um, integrate it, be able to respond to it. So there's this um, need to purify, if you will, uh, the mind or the heart. Uh, of, And then it the Sutta names these sixteen imperfections of mind, things that are like the what makes the cloth dirty in a certain way. And we have a recognition that these are things that need to be purified, not because we're bad and they're, you know, stains upon our goodness or something, um, but more like they're obstructing our path. <laughs> you know, they're not they're not helpful to our aim Um, so we would want to um, clear those things out of the way in the same way that if we were trying to walk down a path we would move logs and branches and other things out of the way because they're not helpful to us at that moment. And then um, there's a moment where we recognize that these things have been released in part, as the sutta says. So it's, you know, we don't have to finish the job. I'm thinking like I maybe should I should read these 16 again just so that we can remember. It's a quite a list. So here are the 16 imperfections of mind. Covetousness and unrighteous greed, ill-will, anger, resentment, contempt, insolence, envy, avarice, deceit, fraud, obstinacy, rivalry, conceit, arrogance, vanity, and negligence. It's quite a list. So if you resonate with any of those, don't worry. That's the Buddha knew long ago that these are issues for all humans. Um, so we, but we do recognize as we start to practice that we have released these in part. And it could just be from some moments of mindfulness. You know, when we have a moment of mindfulness where we're aware that we're angry, then uh, we know that in that moment we have partially released that anger. We have disconnected from it enough to see it. So there we go. And so then there's an understanding that this is that the path is starting to work. And, you know, there may be farther down the line we have Uh, deeper releases where we realize that we're really done with one of these things or some aspect of it in our character and we just know, wow, I may have been doing that for decades but that, I'm not going to do that again, I'm done. I'm done with that way of being, I'm done with that aspect of behavior and that is huge support for our practice to see when those things start to happen. So. I pointed out that one way to think about this is that we have an understanding of their absence. So we can sense the absence of something. You might say, well, absence means it's not there, there's nothing to sense. But there is, isn't there? When there's something that was there for a long time and we suffered with it and then it's gone, that goneness is felt as freedom. It's felt as an absence and so that it's, a, it's not exactly a thing, but it." It isn't nothing. So we have an appreciation for absence. And that provides faith in this process or confidence or trust. Choose your word. Um, And specifically, um, yes, in the process, but what what the Sutta says is specifically that we gain faith in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. So the traditional refuges that help us walk the path so we understand we can understand those in various ways for ourselves. but you know often the buddha is um, our potential for awakening we realize that we can do it at some level and whether we personify that into the buddha did it also and another person who did that uh, or or not um, we can sense somehow that there's this potential for awareness for awakeness for freedom and then the the dharma the teachings the practices that we do uh, we understand that it's something that can be done can be brought about through our actions and then the sangha is the people who are also doing that whether it's literally just the people in this group like this sangha that we've had for this week or we think of a particular aspect of the sangha like the monastics who explicitly committed their whole life to this process in a way that's visible to us so that can be quite inspiring or it can also sometimes refer, Sangha can refer specifically to people who have uh, had some kind of deep insight into this process already so that they're really established on the path Uh, we can recognize those people as models also living people so we have somehow this faith, um, we have a sense of what we're doing, and then that, interestingly, evokes joy, <laughs> and the, the teaching is very clear, it says once you have this confidence and you understand, oh, I, I have a refuge, <laughs> I have a path, um, then there's a sense of joy, of gladness, of. Um, Happiness that we have a direction because that's very satisfying for us to feel that there's something reliable even if we know we're not done and we have a lot of work to do um, I've certainly had moments where I was just so happy to know that I had a path you know with what was happening I thought okay I don't know this is a pretty crazy thing coming into my life but I know I have a path I know there's something that uh, uh, some direction to at least Point my feet in. So that can be really joyful um, to know that. And then um, the text says further, and we can check in our experience that this tends to settle the mind. You know, when there's a certain amount of sense of reliability and a happiness about what we're doing, the mind becomes tranquil and eventually becomes, enters samadhi. You know, that's the place that it points towards. So we have a gathering of the mind around our purpose maybe in a broad sense the mind is gathered around what we're doing and then in a specific sense that's when we start to be able to do samadhi on the cushion we can sit down and we can let go of the of the parts of our life that come in and distract and just be present and we can have some, some degree of concentration very important for the path to be able to cultivate samadhi and at that point um, we have said that we have no obstacles, we have no real obstacles from the world. So we've cleared away the external things that could really block us. We start to, we, maybe we start the practice believing that there are actual blocks outside, like that person, that job, my house with the housemaid, you know, these things. Um, but there comes a point, and we do have to maybe do some organizing and efforting, where most of the, maybe, maybe I will say the majority of the issues we realize are inside and so and that's actually a good point to get to where we realize we're in our own way actually. Um, Maybe these imperfections that have only been released in part, that's the real issue not that other person. And so um, that is when we do the practice of the Brahmaviharas. This is the path as it unfolds in this sutta. It's not the way it has to go in your life. But look if, look and see if there are resonances. Because these you know, these um, exemplar model paths usually have some resonance for us. So then we realize that what we need to do is kind of fill out the heart. Fill out our practice. Start to unearth some of the goodness in our own being. That's what's really going to support us. And the Brahmaviharas, which... Um, are kind of deceptively just called the heart qualities. So we think, oh, it's about just, you know, feeling good in my chest. Um, but actually we realize, oh, these are serious work because they bring up all the ways in which I distance myself from other people. I disconnect from, you know, um, myself, from others. Uh, the Brahmaviharas also relate to whether we have enough courage to walk this path, to exemplify the ethics that we care about. It takes a certain amount of compassion and love and strength to be able to do that. So, these are strengthening qualities. And so they're really the, become, the, they fill out the base of our practice and provide an even stronger foundation um, from which we can then uh, go forward. So then, that's, that's what we've done up to now. <laughs> and then we get to the next line in the sutta, which is deceptively short. It says, it's very pithy, it says, the practitioner understands thus, there is this, there is the inferior, there is the superior, and beyond there is an escape from this whole field of perception. You might say, what, what, what is that referring to? So this is our field of exploration for today is just that simple line. There is this, there is the inferior, there is the superior, and beyond. There is an escape from this whole field of perception. So, we'll explore it experientially, but to put a few words on it, um, this refers to the Four Noble Truths, which is what we realize as wisdom in our practice. Um, So there is this, That means this. (laughs) Check in right now. You're sitting on the cushion in your chair. You're in your world. You've got a certain mood going on. There is this. There is this experience right now. And it has in it some quality of dukkha, probably, unless we're completely awake. But it also just has the inherent quality of it's not going to be the full satisfaction for you. So um, there is this, which includes dukkha, the first noble truth. And then there is the inferior, that's the second Noble Truth. We can have an unskillful relationship to this. We can react to it. We can not like it. We can wish it were other than it was. We can want something else instead of this. That's the inferior response that we sometimes bring up. The second Noble Truth, the origin of suffering, the way we bring about suffering for ourselves. Then there is the superior. We could have a better, more skillful, more healthy relationship to this. We could relate to it through the Brahmaviharas. We could relate to it with wisdom. We could bring in our understanding that it's impermanent, that it's not self. This is the fourth noble truth of the path. That we have this and we have a choice to relate to it skillfully. So a skillful relationship is the fourth truth, the path and through it we cultivate all these good qualities of our our view, our intention, our ethics our mental development on the cushion and then um, we have the escape there's an escape from this whole field of perception, the third truth cessation of suffering so we'll see what that means today but my interpretation of these four pithy lines about the Four Noble Truths is that as practice matures, remember this is a sutta about the arc of practice, as practice matures more and more this is the framework through which we see our life. There's this, this moment, this is what we've got. We can relate to it by clinging or identifying or not. That's the choice. And as we do that choice again and again and again along the path we will discern that there is something that's free. There is something that is not the dukkha of this moment. More, As we relate more and more skillfully we'll start to see what that is and what it is for us. It's quite subtle and quite profound. And it's not just getting a better this. It's something different than this. It's compatible with any this. okay so with that as an introduction let's begin our our sitting today so finding a posture where you'll sit for a little while bringing yourself into that aligned posture settling onto the cushion or the chair or if you're lying down your lying down position if you're comfortable doing so you can close your eyes bringing the attention internally Maybe taking a long, slow, deep breath. And on the exhale, softening the body, softening the mind. doing our quick scan through the body, so softening the eyes and the eye sockets, softening the muscles of the face, forehead, around the eyes, the jaw. Maybe releasing the thinking muscle in the head, imaginary muscle, just finding a little space in the head. Down through the neck and the shoulders, letting the shoulders soften, but without rounding forward maybe letting the shoulder blades slide down the back and into the chest area sometimes it helps to bring a little attention to the spot between the shoulder blades so there's a little support in the upper back and then the chest can relax and open. And down through the arms and the hands. Then down into the belly area. letting that soften to the degree that it's willing muscles of the low back just letting that whole area expand forward and back with the the bones of the spine being adequate support through the hip joints and into the legs, the thighs, knee joints, inviting ease, release. And all the way down into the ankles and the feet. Just connecting in with the body to the degree that we can. And if there were parts that are sore today or still tense or we couldn't connect with them very well, that's okay. However the body is, is fine. Sometimes as the body gets more quiet, the easiest movement to connect with is the breath. You're welcome to settle the mind onto the gentle flow of the breath or it's fine also to stay with the body sensations as a whole. beginning this sitting process with the sense of refuge so just maybe appreciating that this whole week you've been engaged with the Dharma it's clearly something foundational in your life in some way and what is that feeling in you of the importance of the the Dharma or meditation practice or however you perceive of your spiritual life and just resting with that there's any sense of well-being that emerges as a feeling of that, allowing that into the body and the mind in whatever way it will come, using that as nourishment. we sense that some of these imperfections have come into the mind, we just return to the awareness, to the mindfulness, and to our sense of well-being and refuge, and begin again, staying with the moment, with the breath or the body. just encouraging any sense of tranquility especially in the body. Letting the energies of the body settle out the mind is busy or if or if emotions are coming up that's fine we don't have an expectation that certain things will happen in our sit instead we're we're operating from the deeper place of knowing that this is fine what comes up can be met we have trust we can bring our attention to it and that is sufficient. Just that knowledge brings a settling. It's okay. What comes is okay. Have some ease with the process. we may come to have a sense of gathering the mind and the body and the heart together unifying them toward the sense of meeting and walking the path this gathering is called samadhi bringing together possible